Today we finish up our sermon series on temptation. Has this been relevant, helpful to anybody? Yes? Okay. Uh, What I want to do, I can't promise, but what I would like to do is finish a little early so we could pray together. But I can't promise that I'll finish early. We will pray together. I can't (laughs) promise I'll finish early. But you guys already knew that, right? Okay. There are five things that I've tried to tell you guys in terms of practical application. And I want to start with these up front. Number one, ask, where will it lead? As you think about temptation and struggling with that particular temptation or temptation struggles, ask where it will lead. We've been saying throughout the sermon series that temptations work. Why? Because we're blinded to the consequences of those actions as it pertains to our family, our future, and even our faith. Uh, We have wonderful technology these days that enables us to take pictures and crop them so we can focus in and zone in on what it is that we like, we want, and cut out the rest. Satan is a master at cropping circumstances. He's a master at having you focus in on whatever that thing is, and all you and I think is, it's that thing. It's spring break. It's the date last night. It's him. It's her. It's that business deal. It's whatever. And he somehow crops out the rest of the picture that has direct implications for what it does to our family, our future, and even our faith. That's why we say things like, oh, it's just a one-night stand. There's no such thing as just a one-night stand. 15, 20 years later, that just a one-night stand, you're still thinking about. Or, well, it's just me and God. It's just me and and God. We don't think about the consequences. That's a great cropping out picture. No, it's not just you and God. How many of us have been influenced by temptations that other people have faced that had devastating consequences for us? Anybody relate to that? Here's some other things that we say, by the way. Cropping out, Satan. Uh, well, the company owes me anyway. I have this one. Well, it made me feel better. It's a great cropping out picture. How about this one? Oh, it's not like I'm like this all the time. Crop, 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 crop. <gasps> it brought us together. Well, it was better than doing. <laughs> and I love this one. We did that. But at least we didn't do that. And this one, well, they deserved it. Ask, where will this lead? Secondly, we said monitor your soul satisfaction. When you're hungry, we know this experientially, anything on the menu looks good. You and I were created for soul satisfaction. You and I were created to have our souls be satisfied. That's why there are so many commandments to joy in Scripture. Rejoice in the Lord always, I say. Rejoice. Joy of the Lord shall be my strength. When there is no joy, we become weak. And when we're weak, we become vulnerable to temptation. Your soul satisfaction, if it's not met in a legitimate, responsible way, It will have to be met in an irresponsible, illegitimate way. Some of y'all are so hungry right now for soul satisfaction that you're willing to go there and do that even though you know when you're full and satisfied, you look at the very same thing and go, ooh, but right now, boy, it sure looks tempting. Monitor your soul satisfaction. The battle against temptation is a noble fight, but you can't just keep saying no, 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 no. You have to find in your battle against temptation not just no, but something to say yes to. You can't just repress the desire and say no, no, no. Temptation can only be overcome when you have an overriding, all-consuming desire that you can say yes can't just keep saying no to that secure note. Do you have something that you can wholeheartedly say yes? Third, ask for help. 
Nothing makes temptation more powerful than isolation. But the Bible says we don't have to face temptation alone. Do you guys know this passage? 1 Corinthians 10, 13, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. And what this passage is saying is sometimes, like Joseph, you just need to get the heck out of the room. But other times, the way that God provides a way out, check this out. God provides a way out. It's not some supernatural, miraculous way. The way that God provides a way out is a community of people that you can tell about your temptations. He who sins alone is utterly alone. If you've got nobody to tell about your struggles and it's in secrecy and isolation, that temptation will have its grip on you. And his tentacles will eventually reach out to other areas of your life. And you won't be able to overcome it. First step towards overcoming temptation is to say, hey, you, I've never told anybody I struggle with this. Ask for help. Fourth, don't stay down. Satan is smart. You guys know this? He's crafty. He's been around for a while. And you know what he does? By the way, it's, it's funny to me. I meet Christians who think that Satan could read our minds. I'm not even going to ask him. How many of you guys think that? Say, people are like, Satan is not omniscient. He, does, he can't read your minds. But you know what he does? He's very good at observation. And he watches. And he notices some of you guys have this deep need for social acceptance. So he notices that you don't struggle when you're by yourself. But boy, you get around those people and... Satan's very, very observant. He knows you and me. He knows our patterns. You know what else he does? He comes and he offers and promises something that he can't deliver on. So he goes, that's, that, that's going to meet your need. Uh-huh. Go. And what do we do? We go for it. Wait, where did he go? Where did he go? Leave us in our guilt condemnation. Oh, by the way, he comes very quickly, though. Because he no longer puts on the liar hat. He takes that off, and then he puts on the accuser hat. That's what Satan literally means, the accuser. And he comes and he goes, you lame, loser, worthless Christian. How can you care yourself a Christian? Son of God, daughter of God, are you kidding me? Look at what you did last night. I've got that sucker recorded. And he comes double barrel with guilt, condemnation, and shame. And what do we do? Oh, he's right. I'm absolutely worthless. I'm absolutely worthless as a daughter of God. I'm absolutely worthless as a son of God. Oh, yeah, I'll never. Some of you believe the ultimate lie, which is I will never overcome this. This will always be my struggle for the. What does scripture say? Fifth, go to the gospel. You know what the gospel says? Because all of a sudden, the picture that Satan has cropped, you zoom out, zoop, and all of a sudden, guess what's in the picture? When you zoom out, guess what appears in the picture? You zoom out, and all of a sudden, hello, a cross appears in the picture. And you realize that there's a gospel that's available to us. What do I mean by that? That means that when we sin, we're faced with the choice. We can choose his lies about guilt and condemnation. We could choose truth. And the truth of God says that I've messed up, but there's a way back to God, which is called repentance. The truth of God says, even though I've sinned, even though there's a mountain, a Mount Everest of sin, as it says in Romans, Romans 5, there's a mountain of grace of God that waits those who repent and ask forgiveness. That you and I don't have to be guilt-ridden and in our shame and condemnation because of what we've done. Some of us walk around with a lot of guilt all the time, a lot of guilt. And we think it's perfectly okay for Christians to walk around with a lot of guilt. You need to know this. Romans 6 says, all guilt was canceled and taken away for all on the cross by Jesus. So why do I feel guilty? Because you don't know that your guilt has been paid for. And Satan wants you to know, your guilt's not been paid for. Yeah, you need to feel... Scripture says, listen very carefully, I've sinned, I have a mountain of sin. The Bible says Jesus Christ went to the cross, dies for our sins, and rises again. And what's available for us is a mountain of grace that can overcome any mountain of sin. Is that good news? Oh, man. But we don't know that. So we walk around with guilt, condemnation, 
And we say things like, well, God can never. God can never? He went to the cross for you for crying out loud. Are you kidding me? Where is the cross, by the way? I was like, oh, there it is. It's hidden over there in the corner. Set up takedown, people. You know I can't preach without the cross, man. Can somebody please go and split the... I'm serious. Can you... Thank you very much. No, you guys have to know. You guys have to know. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very, very much. You guys have to know. You know what? The cross isn't just for show. The cross literally... I, this might sound funny to you. I can't preach without the cross on the stage. Because I have to look at that thing to preach to myself. Okay? You guys need to know that. So as much as I'm screaming and shouting up here about the cross and stuff like that, you guys need to know. Thank you very much. (laughs) Carry the cross, Roland. Carry the cross. Right here. Right here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> listen, can I just listen, listen, listen? And now I have the cross, and I can preach now. Listen. <laughs> Condemnation isn't from God. Some of you are just sitting here, you just for no reason. I'm not saying it, nobody's saying anything. You're just feeling condemned. You're just feeling condemned. Condemnation is not from God. Condemnation is from the enemy. Romans 8 1 says, Therefore, there is now what? No condemnation. You know what the Holy Spirit does? Holy Spirit brings conviction. And the conviction is, You're a son of God for crying out loud. What are you doing? You're a daughter of God, cherished, valued, treasured. What are you doing? You're better than that. You're better. That's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation tears you down, leaves you in chatter. Conviction builds you up and says, own what you did, but remember who you are and move with God. If you're sitting here with condemnation, condemnation, mountain of sin, removed by mountain of grace. But you don't know how high my sin is. I don't care how high your sin is. There's no sin too high for the grace of God to overcome. Okay? It is good news. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start reading from verse 13, and we're going to finish this thing. We're going to cover the last two temptations in Matthew 4. I promise. I promise we'll finish. Cover. And then I want us to pray for one another. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. Listen very carefully. A voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. There's a gospel right there. With him I am well pleased. The gospel right there. And then, verse 1, 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him to the holy city and let him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. What is Satan doing? He is quoting a verse out of the Bible. This is Psalm 91. He's quoting it verbatim. Now check this out. Satan is not taunting Jesus. I dare you. Jump. I dare. He's not taunting. You know what? He, he's preaching. Satan's preaching. He's preaching a sermon. Psalm 91. By the way, Psalm 91, we'll see in a little bit, about, is about God's protection and man's fear. Listen very carefully. It's not just Jesus who's memorized scripture. Satan knows the Bible inside out. 
So this is almost, listen to, this is almost Satan is a liar. You speak truth to him, he'll leave you alone. But if you are not familiar with the truth, how do you go against somebody who uses truth and twists it against you? Satan has memorized, listen, memorized the Bible, Genesis Revelation. He knows every single verse in the Bible. But the thing that Satan does is he leaves out a portion and misquotes it. He goes, hey, hey, Satan, Satan, doesn't, doesn't Psalm 91 say that, that God will protect the anointed of God from all trouble? And Jesus literally say, I know what it says. The Bible doesn't say that the anointed of God will not face trouble. The Bible says that trouble will not overcome the anointed. Can I say that again? So you and I believe, hey, 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 Jesus, doesn't the Bible say that God will protect you from all trouble? And Jesus goes, actually what it says is that trouble will not overcome the anointed. The Bible never promises that you will not have trouble. The promise is that God will be with you in trouble. I'll tell you why that's important in a moment. So in the first temptation, just brief review, Jesus is hungry, right? And we says hunger is a form of suffering. Essentially what Satan comes to Jesus and says, hey, you're the son of God. You're loved. God says he's pleased to you. But if God loves you and you're the son of God, why would you be hungry? Hunger is a form of suffering. Why would you let you be hungry? If God lets you be hungry, that means either you're not the son of God, daughter of God, or that he doesn't love you. So therefore, remember what we said last week, meet that need on your own. You have that need, you have that need, go ahead, do it on your own. Take care of it. And if Jesus had turned the stone into bread, it was Jesus saying to God, God, I know what I need when I want it better than you. So I'm going to meet my need in an irresponsible, illegitimate way. And I could care less about what you say. Do we struggle with that? God, I'm hungry. I'm single. I, I don't know why I put that in quotes. <laughs> I, like God goes, single? What does that mean? Single. <laughs> I, God, I'm single. I'm lonely. I have need for intimacy. And we think this. We go, if you love me, I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. Why would I still be single? Why would I have this need for intimacy not met? Why would I have this need for intimacy not met? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to meet this intimacy in an irresponsible, legitimate way. I'm going to let you know that I know what I need, when I need it, and I'm going to take care of it. Business. Business. You're in the field of business. There's a deal that needs to be made. In order to make the deal, you need to lie, cheat, not full disclosure. God, I want to be successful. You know I want to be successful. I want a career. I want a career. And I don't trust that you can meet this need. So therefore, I'm going to take what I need to do to meet this legitimate need in an illegitimate, irresponsible way. Now, check this out. That temptation eventually leads to a second temptation, which is what? What is Satan saying to Jesus? Make God prove it. You're hungry. Listen, make God prove that he's really good. Make God prove that he's really good and that he's loving. The implication is God hasn't done enough and he needs to do more. So Jesus, listen very carefully, set us a random criteria and test God. Say to God, if you're good, then you'll do this. If you love me, then you'll do this. Otherwise, you're not a good God. You're not a loving God. And of course, we're sitting and going, I can't relate to that. Can anybody relate to that? Can anybody relate to that? God, I don't believe that you're good. I don't believe that you're loving. I don't believe that you're actually going to meet my need. So I'm going to set up some criteria. If you're good, God, then you'll do this. And if you don't do this, then you're not good, God. Question. This is even theologically deep. How do you like it when somebody does that to you? Well, if you like me, then you'll do this. If not, it's off. Well, if you love me and say that you're looking out for my best interest, you'll do this. If not, we're not going to be friends. <laughs> well, if you say that you, you're actually for me and that you are wanting to be with me, then, then you'll do this. If not, how do, how do we like it when somebody does that to us? Do we go, joy, 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 joy. That's wonderful. What do we do? We go, wait a minute. 
do I get to say so in this? Wait a minute. I thought, I thought it was about us, the friendship, the relationship, and not that thing. We feel violated. We feel what? Manipulated. We feel used. And yet, there are some of us saying this room who are literally saying to God, well, if you're good, then you will. Well, if you love me, then you will. I know there's like two of us that could relate to this, right? Me and somebody else in this room. <laughs> Nervous laughter. <laughs> How many of you are doing that right now? Don't have to raise your hands. How many of you this morning are saying, God, if you love me, then you'll do this. If not, what Satan does is he comes and says, there's this thing that God has to do. God has to show up when you say it, when you want it, how you want it done. And if God doesn't show up and do it the way when you want it, how you want it, well, then God isn't good. God isn't who he says he is. God can't be trusted. So it's not just, do you trust that God is good? Satan's coming and saying, make God prove it by setting up some criteria. And if God doesn't meet it, then he can't be good. He can't be loving. Do you know how devastating this is to your soul as a Christian? Do you know how devastating that? First, first of all, just think about it. You can't bargain with God. How do you bargain with somebody who has everything? How do you bargain with somebody who has everything? You only bargain with somebody who has a need of something that you have. What do we have that God goes, yeah, I don't have that. So maybe we can bargain. Here's the other danger, though, and this is the larger issue. You need to ask yourself, what are you saying about God if you're good then? Because all of a sudden, guys, our true hearts are revealed. And all of a sudden, listen very carefully. I'm going to say this firmly and gently. All of a sudden, when we do, God, if you're good then, if you're loving then, when we do that, then you know what? Our true hearts are exposed, and our true idols, our true gods are exposed to what they really are. What it is that ultimately is the means or the end and not the means. Our hearts are truly exposed for what it is that we ultimately live for, what we're building the kingdom for. We realize for many times when we're testing God, it reveals our true hearts and we realize that God is just a means to an end. God exists for our benefit. God exists for our agenda. God, and here's the other thing too, right? See, some of us go, well, I don't, I, I actually perfectly wouldn't mind that kind of a God. Okay, let me, let me go a little bit here. So sometimes we go, God, well, if there was a God that I can sort of wrap my brain around, if there's a God that behaves in the way that I want him to, I think my life would be better. Really? It's going to be a little philosophical, but let me just press you, okay? A God of our imagination, a God of our reality, a God who acts and behaves the way we want to, that God can't change you. It'll make you feel better. I have a God that's like a pet, you know? I bring him out and go, do this, do this, do this. That makes me feel better, but it never changes. Do you know Why? Let me talk to those of you who are deeply insecure, feeling totally worthless in your life right now. You can maybe relate to what this Bible verse says. 1 John chapter 1, or chapter 3, verse 19. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. Anybody know the experience of having your hearts condemned? Of course you do. You know what it is like to have your voice, uh, your heart, heart condemn you? Heart come, you're a Christian. You're a daughter of God. How can you call yourself a Christian? You'll never measure up. You'll never overcome that. How can you possibly think? Nobody can love you. Nobody can possibly love you. You're dumb. You'll always be dumb. You'll never make it. We have these voices in our hearts. Let me ask you a question. If you're deeply feeling insecure, if you're deeply feeling self-worthless because your heart is condemning you, question, if you're God is a product of your heart. How can you overcome the voices of your heart if your heart imagined and created that God? If your God is somebody you imagine in your life because, you know, I can deal with this God, then when your heart starts condemning you, the only God that can overcome the condemnation of your heart is a God who is not a product of your heart. Are you with me? So a God who acts and behaves the way we want to because our hearts imagine him that way can get a little, you know, may get rid of a few problems, but it will not ultimately overcome. The only God that can overcome the condemnation of your heart is a God who is bigger and greater than your heart. And that God exists. And it's a God in Scripture who says, I don't act that way. I don't do the whole, well, if you do this, then you love me. And if I don't meet the criteria, then you're just going to give. He says, I don't play that. I'm the creator. 
Question again. How many of us are this morning saying to God, God, if you do this, then. If you're good and loving, then. Otherwise, it's all off. Hmm? Verse 7. Then Jesus answered him. It's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You know what that is? That is a spiritual judo move. That's Jesus going, to Satan. You know, I'm Asian. I totally channel that. I envision like Bruce Lee for some reason. You know, Satan is doing the whole jump down and Jesus goes, you know, one of these deals, right? I was just like, wow. Totally. I know if you're not like Asian, you can't relate to that, right? (laughs) This is awesome what Jesus does here. He just stands there and he goes, really? You're going to try that? Really? Now, let me tell you in the background what's going on, okay? This isn't just out of random. If you were last week, you know this. There's Old Testament context to everything that happens here, right? Because what, 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 what Israel failed in the wilderness in their journey to the promised land, Jesus, the true Israel, overcomes. We've been saying that. That's the larger context. And the context in which Jesus quotes the scripture is out of Exodus. And I put the scripture up here, okay? Exodus chapter 17, verse 1. This is after the Israelites have been delivered from slavery in Egypt and they're wandering through the wilderness. Verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Here's a brief brief biblical principle, and then we'll move on. It's one thing to get out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of you. It's one thing to be set free from slavery to sin and condemnation. It's another thing to live as if you were free from slavery, sin, and condemnation. Some of us are still acting like we're in 400 years of bondage to Egypt. Reality, you're out. You're out. You're out. You're out. But it's one thing to get out of Egypt. It's another thing to get Egypt out of you. It's a whole sermon in and of itself, isn't it? And I'm going to preach on that, actually, through Galatians, book of Galatians. We talk about freedom. Sorry, I have all these movie illustrations. William Wallace. Freedom! Uh, Anyway, okay. (laughs) Verse 4, verse 4. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the place Massah, which literally means testing, and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Understand where we are in Israel's history. This is amazing. And why it's so powerful and why it's so relevant to us. Where Israel's at when we read this text is that they have been delivered from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. They've seen God do amazing things. They've also walked through, I watched Prince of Egypt with my son and, and baby girl. So, we, so yeah, it's a great movie. So we saw, and Parker's sitting there going, Daddy, did it really happen? Did the oceans really split and did they walk through the dry ground? I go, yes, Parker, can you believe that? It was awesome. Anyway, so they walk through the middle of the Red Sea. They come on the other side. By this time, a pillar of fire is guiding them by night, and a pillar of cloud is guiding them by day. By this time, God is sending heavenly bread, manna from them, heaven, for them to eat every single day. And they find themselves thirsty. And they go, God, we don't know if you're good. God, we don't know if you love us. So, we don't trust you. So, we're going to force your hand to prove it again. He said, they're going, that's stupid. Who would do that? (laughs) So, the passage that Jesus 
That's what happened. And then Moses, remember, book of Deuteronomy, his sermon on the history of Israel. And this is where Jesus gets it from. Deuteronomy 6.16. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massah. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulation decrees he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go well and take over the good land. Listen, the Lord promised an oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all your enemies before you as the Lord said. Everybody look up here. Why did they test God? Because they don't trust God. Why don't they trust God? Because they don't trust God's word. And because they don't trust God's word, their response is, I want to sign. I want to sign. I want to sign. Prove it. Prove it. Show me. Show me. Show me. Show me. Show me. I, I'm going to. Your word? Nah. Word, 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 word. I'm going to set up some criteria. If you, if you love me, you'll do this. If you good, you. God spends thousands and thousands and thousands of pages saying, I love you. I love you. I will do anything for you. I have done everything for you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. And we go, we go, I want to sign. I want to sign. I want to sign. I want to sign. Criteria. I want a criteria to know that you're loving. Criteria to know that you're good. Does that make any sense? It's so quiet in here. Give me two minutes to talk to a small group of you. Here's how one way we do this. There's some of you who walk around and you're unsure whether you're truly a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a Christian. Some of it might be because you're not. It might be because what you thought was genuine saving faith, you might not have actually believed genuine saving faith. And my message to you is simple. Repent and believe the good news. Can I say that again? Repent and believe the good news. But there's some of you who are truly and genuinely saved. But you're walking around insecure. Why? Because you don't feel it. You don't feel it. And so you're walking around going, God, I don't feel like I'm saved. And so listen very carefully. I want a sign. I want something measurable. I want a visible, tangible thing. And what do they look like? They look like material circumstances, blessing, life is going well, no troubles, no harm. Okay, I think I know I'm saved. Some of us, it's settled intuition. I feel, yeah, I, I feel it. Why? I cried last Friday as I was praying. I know I'm saved. Some of us, it's uptick in sanctification. We say it's like, well, well, I'm like three times more humble than I was like last year, so I must be saved. Some of us, it's, some of us, it's miracles. The problem is none of those things can give us security, can they? No, no. Do you know what Jesus did? Jesus goes and says, I know that I'm a son of God because God's word tells me so. I'm going to tell you something right now. And if you believe this, say amen. You and I, you and I believe in saving faith. You know what saving faith is? Saving faith is believing that God accepts you in Christ Jesus because God's word says that he died and rose again for our sins and anyone who repents and believes in him is saved indeed. It's God's word that gives us assurance, not our feelings. Can I get an Amen. And for those of you that are struggling, you know somebody's struggling because they're like, well, I'm not more humble than I was last year, so therefore I might not be saved. If I was saved, I wouldn't be struggling with these sins. You are saved because you and I are in Christ, and in Christ we were executed, buried, and rose again in Christ. We're safe from now until eternity because God's word says so. It's settled. Is that good news? See, for some of us, I'm afraid that if an angel comes and says, hey, hey, you want to have absolute certainty that God exists? You want to have absolute certainty that, that, that God is who he says? You want to have absolute certainty that God Jump from the temple and God will catch you. I wonder how many of us in our dark night of the soul will be tempted to go, really? If I did that, I will have assurance? Jesus says, it is written. Is that good news? You guys, how many of us are sitting around going, well, well, if I, if I, if, 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 if God's sign, visible manifestation, then, then Jesus reaches back into Deuteronomy. And Jesus says, I'm not here to test God. 
I'm not here to force God's hand. I know what he's promised in his word. Do not test the Lord your God. Do not force God's hand. I'm not going to force my father to do something for me. I'm not going to force my father to have no other option but to come and help me. I'm not going to presume on his power, presume on his love, presume on his authority. Real quick, one other thing and then we'll move on. You know how some of us Christians do this? We say this. We go, well, just step out in faith and trust God. I'm sorry, but I want to strangle the next person that says that. Because, listen, listen, because a lot of times when we we go, well, just need to step out in faith and trust God. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, but a lot of us, what we mean by that is, I'm going to come up with a plan, I'm going to just go ahead. And if it doesn't work out, then I'm going to expect God, step out in faith, to come and bail me out. You'd be amazed how many people walk into my office and tell me something they want to do, and I go, have you prayed about it? No. Okay. Have you talked to somebody about it? No. Do you think you should maybe pray about it and talk to somebody about it? No. That's the person that says, I'm just going to step out in faith. No, no. Because when we say that, what we mean is I came up with this plan. It's not well researched. I haven't talked to anybody. I haven't saw counsel of older men and women. I haven't prayed about it. I haven't done anything. But it's my selfish thing to do. And I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And if it doesn't come work out, then God's going to come through for me. And when it doesn't work out, all of us are just sitting there and angry at God going, I thought he was the one. I thought she was the one. I thought that business deal. I thought I was going to get in that school. I thought, I thought. And God's going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why are you? blaming me it wasn't even my idea how many of us sitting here going it's about faith faith is about promises of god's word not our foolish stupid ideas so how many of us sitting i'm serious i'm serious some of you are here maybe about to make a decision and you're literally testing god because you're going god i know you're in it for me how do you know your god's in it have you talked to someone about it? By the way, if you don't want to talk to anybody about it, pretty strong sign. Pretty strong sign. It's amazing to me. I'm serious. I'm serious. How often we go, delusion. how often we go, well, I don't want to talk to anybody about it. Why? Well, because, you know, if I talk to them about it, and we have all these rationalizations, when in fact the reason why we don't want to talk to anybody about it is because that person will speak truth into our lives and go, girlfriend, uh-uh. <laughs> and we don't want to hear it. We don't want, can I get it? Amen. We don't want to hear it. So what do we do? We go, I'm just not going to talk to anybody about it. Can I ask something? How many of you guys have some decisions you need to make this year and you're not even praying about it? What is that? Well, let's talk about that a little bit here. Okay. The people that are most disappointed with God, I've said this before, last fall when we talked about it. People that are most disappointed with God are men and women whose whole approach to Christian life is I'm going to manipulate God to do what I want him to do. I'm going to test God. I'm going to set up criteria. And if he doesn't meet that, then he can't be good. He can't be loving. People who are most disappointed with God are people who approach Christian life from their perspective. And people who, to me, grow, who, to me, mature, who, to me, have a strength and stability about them are people who wake up every single day and go, God, today is about cooperating with you, not manipulating you. Today I get up and the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get my tired body out of bed. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to go, Lord, today I surrender. All of today for you. You know, funny, the thing is, there are some close friends of mine here at this church who are part of AA. And they get this innately. They understand that they can't get through one day if not for the Spirit of God. But for many of us who go, well, I'm not an addict. I can do it on my own. We realize. Do you know why surrender scares you? Because you can't see you from God's perspective. From God's perspective, surrender is the most rational thing to do. Two questions and then we'll move on. And the last temptation. Am I willing to obey God? Whatever God says about this life area, no matter how I feel about it. Am I willing to thank God for whatever happens in this area, whether I understand it? How would you answer that? Verse 8, we are going to get done on time. Whoa, check this out. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their trump towers and said, all of this I will give you, apprentice, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Now, check this out, guys. This is the, when we look at this, we go, oh, Jesus is God, but he's also human. Jesus has grown up as a peasant 
carpenter. You know what this is like? For the first time, Satan takes him. The image I have is, imagine somebody from like Podunk, small rural town in Illinois. And they're standing at the top of Empire State Building for the first time and going, a little bit, just tiny bit. Oh, Jesus. Jesus is up and he's looking around going, Here's the temptation of the problem. Satan says, bow down to me, and I'll give all this to you. The problem is, Jesus has already been promised the kingdoms by the Father. Two things, though. Jesus has been promised it by God's word, not by vision. By faith, not by sight. Are you, are you hearing me? Jesus has been promised all this by saying, you can't see it now, but it's yours. Secondly, the path to that involved what? The path that involved what? So here's what Satan is doing. Satan comes to Jesus and goes, Jesus, Jesus, why wait for the end time exaltation of the Father? You can't even see it. When you can have the right now exaltation by me. Secondly, Jesus, Jesus, you can have all that. You can have all that without this. You can have all that without pain. You can have all that without suffering. Oh, big one. You can have all that without waiting. (laughs) Some of us waiting feels like death. Can I get an amen? Oh, yes. We are sitting here. and Look, there's like 90% of you in this room today for whom you're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And Satan comes and he says, hey, Jesus, there's a shortcut that involves what? No waiting. Jesus, you can have it all without this. Without waiting, without pain, without suffering, you could have it all with a shortcut. Listen carefully. We're done. Jesus has a path given by God. That path, path involves a cross. The path involves waiting. The path that God has chosen for Jesus. God has a path for you. God has a path for you. I am 100% sure that every single one of us in this room, A, know the path that God has for us, and we know when we're on it and when we're off of it. There is an internal radar in you. You can't fool me. You know. Internal radar. You know why? Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. Jesus is our shepherd. We are his sheep, and we could hear his voice. You and I know when we are on that path. But here's the temptation. The temptation will not be to totally get off of the path. The temptation will be to take a, say it with me, shortcut. Shortcut. That means we'll be tempted to settle for what's immediate and sacrifice what's important. The temptation will be to oh, check my conscience, check my morale, check my values at the door. Not forever, but for this moment. Just, just tonight. Just this week. Just as soon as I sign on the dotted line. Not forever. Just right now. Just right now. The temptation will be to say, I'm going to take a shortcut. There are some of you right now, you're on a God-given path. Listen, you're on a God-given path. And the temptation, not, don't be a Christian. The temptation is Satan comes and goes, why wait? Why wait? Hey, you, don't have to, you don't have to compromise forever. Just this time. Just this time. Just for now. Just, nobody's looking. Just for now. The second thing, and this is a greater temptation, Satan's going to come and go, no cross. Why would you want to be crucified with Christ when you can be magnified without him? Why wait for the end time exaltation of the Father when you can have it right now? The temptation will be to say, don't go to the cross. 
don't go to the cross. Don't, no, don't, don't do the cross thing. Don't do the waiting thing. Don't do the dying to self thing. Don't do the embracing pain, suffering, and death thing. Choose the way and path of least resistance. Choose the path and way of comfort. Choose the path and way that involves no cross. And all of a sudden you're going, oh, that looks pretty good right about now. The temptation the temptation will involve Satan coming and saying, you know the path that God has for you, but you can do it without the cross. You can do it by taking a shortcut. And in that moment, you're going to discover two things. In that moment, one, you're going to discover who you are. You're going to discover in that moment who you really are, what your real values are, what your real, not what you give lip service to, but what your real values are, what your real priorities are. What is that at the core of who you are? Secondly, not only will you discover who you are, you will discover, listen, whose you are. You're going to discover in that moment what kingdom you're building. You're going to discover if you're out there building your own kingdom, man. You're going to be building your own kingdom, doing your own thing, bigger and better and faster and prettier and thinner. You're going to realize whether you're building your own kingdom or you're building the kingdom of God, you'll discover whose you are. God has a path for you. You know the path that God has for you. Some of you are in a season of waiting you may have been forced to wait a year or two years. You're a season of waiting, and you're either getting resentful or you're saying, I'd rather do the immediate rather than important. You're saying, ah, shortcut doesn't sound real bad right about now. And what does Jesus say? Oh, this is huge. Verse 10, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him. We don't have time to look at the Deuteronomy text and that. But do you, do you know? Do you know? Everybody, can you look up here? Do you know what Jesus more than Jesus wanted more than anything else? Do you know what Jesus wanted more than all the kingdoms of the world? He wanted fellowship with his heavenly Father. And do you know what Jesus got in the end? Both. Do you know what you and I get when we're willing to sacrifice our fellowship with the Heavenly Father for all the kingdoms of the world? We get neither. But in that moment, in that moment, path, path. Here's a question for you. What is it that you want so badly? But you know that to do that is to violate your conscience. What is it that you want so badly, but you don't want to ask anybody because if you did, you know they're going to speak truth into your life and they're going to remind you that God wants better for you and that you need to wait. What is it or who is it that you want so badly that you're saying, God, I know that you've gotten me this far. I know that you did the whole spreading of the Red Sea, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire by night, the heavenly manna. You've done all this for me so far. But you know what? I don't trust your word. So here's a criteria. Prove it again and again. By the way, addiction to signs it's a powerful force in our lives. Prove it. Prove it. Prove it. At some point, you need to come and say, do not test the Lord your God. He is who he says he is. What is it today that you're saying, God, I'm willing to sacrifice what's important for the immediate? What is it that you're willing to say, God, I'm going to just check my conscience. I'm going to check my beliefs. I'm going to check my core beliefs of what I believe. Just at the door, okay? Just today. Just, just for this thing. And I promise once I get on the other side, I'll come right back. What is it that you want so badly? You're saying, God, I don't know if I can trust you. I've said this throughout this sermon series. If you don't trust God, you'll stop obeying God. And when you stop obeying God, eventually you'll stop believing altogether. The fundamental starting point we begin with and we end with is, do you trust 
your heavenly Father. I end with this. The path that God has for you involves a cross. The path that God has for you involves us following in the path of Christ. That means that there's a Christ pattern, Christ pattern. And that means that any path that God has for you, and this, by the way, this is the reason why Christianity, this version of Christianity, not popular in American churches, but I'm going to say it to you. Path that God has for us involves a cross. And that's good news. Do you know why? Because it's only when we die to ourselves that we can really begin to live. It is only when we crucify ourselves, our self-centeredness, our self-dependency, and our selfishness. It is only when we die to ourselves that we can really begin to live the life that God has for us. Christ's pattern involves waiting. Christ's pattern involves suffering. Christ's pattern involves pain. And Christ's pattern, yes, will involve death. Because that is the only way that resurrection comes. Christ's pattern means that there is a cross before the crown and there is death before glorification. The path that God has for you and for me is not easy. Church, it's about trust. You're going to walk out of here And from get-go tomorrow, you are going to be bombarded with the message that says, take the shortcut. Take the shortcut. Avoid the cross. Avoid the cross. Enter into the Christ pattern. Cross before crown. Death before resurrection Father make us people of courage make us people of courage God who are not cowards people of courage that would walk in boldness knowing that we have a God we can trust every second every moment every breath of our lives We have a God who has shown again and again and again and again that he is faithful, 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 good, 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 loving, 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 loving. Remind us of who you are and what you have done. of you that want to stick around some more and pray I'm just going to have daddy is just play softly in the background so you could hear one another praying I'm sorry to cut you off praying for each other listen to the Holy Spirit as you feel led go ahead walk around the room look for people that you feel led to pray for pray for your friends you didn't get to pray for pray for yourself need prayer come on up a great wonderful week church family I love you we love you we look forward to seeing you back here as we celebrate God's 10 years of faithfulness next week be blessed as you go